The subject for the evening talk is the forces of ego. At a very general and global level, perhaps after the 1989-91 revolution for change in Eastern Europe and the so-called dissolution of the Cold War, there was for a very short-lived period of time some brief hope, if not optimism, that once that was over, we could perhaps uh, concentrate our attention uh, more easily and more effectively on the global problems. And one of the characteristic features of what we have seen in recent years, and of course has been going on for time in memorial, is various forms of regional uh, conflict in which there is a momentum of hate heaped upon other people. And sometimes when we look at this, when we read in our newspapers or observe it, in the news reports on the television or radio, it would seem that whether it's in terms of events in the local uh, community or between um, groups of people in a particular nation or between uh, nations, that quite often there was a kind of um, ideology which would give some support to the violence, to the warmongering upon other people. And one of the rather frequent phenomena that we are experiencing in in an increasingly violent world, that it doesn't seem to require an ideology even to support it, that that even in situations of wars between groups of people, long, long after the reasons have dissipated and falling away, fallen away, the warmongering and the hatred and the violence continues. And it seems to be more and more that we are living in a world of self-perpetuating violence, random acts of violence, in which people harm and hurt and kill each other just for the sake of that obscene and as obnoxious as it is, when it's supported with an ideology, obviously and equally uh, it is so when it's just for its own sake. And killing just begets killing, begets killing. And the reasons, whatever mad reasons there were in the first place, have long faded away from the psyche, except for some rationalization in front of the television cameras. And we've rather ended up, I feel, in this uh, violent world. And the rather absurd and tragic situation with our media, television, radio, cinema, newspapers, etc., of having access through mass media rather instantly to this violence and aggression that perpetuates the earth. 
And we have developed, seems to me, an almost voyeuristic attitude of witnessing this again and again on our screens as they're mixed in with advertisements for Coca-Cola and cornflakes and other such trifles. And all of this we get used to, and to get used to day in and day out is in fact to get numbed to as well. And not surprisingly, an increasing number of people just can't bear switching on the television or picking up a newspaper uh, anymore because it's an endless litany of violence, perpetuating violence, perpetuating violence. That the ego itself and the forces of, and dynamics of egoism through clinging to land, to ideology and beliefs, inflicts itself upon others in the most horrendous and barbaric ways. And you and I, day in and day out, are consistently uh, exposed to this, sometimes very directly, of course, in the, in the streets of our own community and sometimes through what we hear and, and know about. And it seems again and again, and I think all of this has a very important uh, spiritual dimension to it, that our politicians and our legislators and and those with various forms of authority which we have uh, subscribed to, seem that the only solution that they come up with again and again in terms of the violence on our streets and other forms is to increase control, put more police on the streets, to introduce more law enforcement agencies, and to find, as it were, some way to control the uh, excesses of the forces of ego, of violent behavior in this world. And it seems when we look in that way, forces of ego, in this case the violent ego, can't compete, rather the forces of agencies and law can't compete with the forces of ego because violence perpetuates itself in all manner of ways. So as I say, sometimes we look at this at the outer scale of, of things and what has gone tragically wrong in human relationships and human behavior and the solution being control, the solution being increasing um, uh, um, times in, uh, in jail, imprisonment, the solution being introducing, as is trying to take place in this country, more and more offences which uh, people get executed for, as though any of that will in fact make any difference to the forces of violence and ego, whether it's locally, nationally or internationally. And in, it seems to me there needs to be a very deep and profound and thorough re-examination and rethink about our world and about the values and a, a much more deeper probing into what we live, what we say, what we do and who we are. And I think we have to start right back 
at that kind of point in our life. Because if we don't, then we become, even though we may subscribe to non-violence and non-forces of ego, in fact we become, in a way, part of that problem and we subscribe to that problem in some way engendered by our own lifestyle, rather unconsciously and unknowingly, that if we're in the business of pursuit of profit, pursuit of privilege, of the acquisition of more and more, rather in a rather unaware way, we contribute as a factor to making more and more other people aware of how little they have, how they have been rejected, discarded, forgotten, neglected, become the underclass of our society, and how much all of that feeling of missing out on the goods of life, on the profits of life, and when people feel they've missed out so much and have been rejected so much, they say, well, I don't need to work for it, I'll just go and take it. So our way of life and the benefits and the uh, um, blessedness and the good fortunes that you and I have, if we're seriously interested in contributing in life to uh, uh, social harmony and social justice and wish to make some contribution to eliminating the violence on our streets and internationally, certainly one aspect of, of that is a real examination of the way we live. And are we greedy, selfish, arrogant, in the business of accumulating more and more? And what is that doing to those who are on food stamps or whatever it might be? So awareness in life and uh, a looking at life, it has to include a genuine awareness and acknowledgement of, of our way of life in relationship to other people, in relationship to those who have far less than we do. And one of the things which takes place in, um, uh, in Britain and may be uh, taking place here is a constant and rather repugnant um, comparison of ourselves with uh, other countries. So the English compare themselves with the, the Japanese or with the Germans or with the French or whatever. And all, and all of that kind of comparing says, well, look how much they've done, look what their salaries are, look, look at the, the amount of disposable income that they have. And when we engage in that in a larger level or a personal level, we are also contributing to the, the jealousy, the fear, the envy, the rage, the hate that goes on in this world. So as I say, we need in our life a, a, a genuine capacity to stop and to be, uh, to be still and to, be, and to look at our way of being in this world and to see whether or not our lifestyle is such that we are in some indirect and perhaps direct way contributing to the violence on our streets because we're taking too much from this world 
and not putting enough back into it. Doing thinking too much for ourselves and our middle class values and not thinking enough about those near and far who have far less than we do. And that really does have to come, I would say, in looking at the forces of ego on our earth, really from a standpoint of awareness. It's, not, it's no use sitting around and feeling guilty and feeling very uncomfortable because of this, that and the other. Because unfortunately, and so easily and frequently, one can feel guilty about what one has, etc., compared with the people in Rwanda or the people in other parts of the world or the poor on our streets. But unfortunately, with such an emotional response with guilt, all too frequently, it tends to create a kind of um, uh, uh, a displacement, in a way, of balance and, and well-being uh, within ourselves. It does tend to generate a certain kind of insecurity and um, bad feelings towards ourself. And when we identify with that, and there is a tremendous amount of... Uh, uh, guilt in our culture, in our um, society, that when we identify uh, with that, then the tendency easily is to want to get rid of that guilt. And the way that we get rid of that guilt or that insecurity or that inner dissatisfaction so often is in the pursuit of more, in the pursuit of pleasure in order to cover up, to mask, to uh, push away those uncomfortable feelings. So as I say, not, not this, what is being said is not in any way from the standpoint of wanting to feed any more guilt than there is already in this world, but much more. What is our re relationship to our life, to our lifestyle, to our, the movement of our life? And can we in some way find the capacity and perhaps the greatest of all capacities of life, and that is the ability to say no to more. Whatever it or that might be. And that there is some demarcation line, there's some arresting point, there is some uh, focus that we have that the goods of life are not going to imprison us. Not only because of the goods and the environmental exploitation is because if we take less there is a potential and the possibility for others to receive who do not have. And it's terribly easy, particularly uh, I feel for those of you here who, uh, and in other parts of Western society who perhaps haven't had the opportunity to travel very much, who haven't been exposed to third world conditions, who haven't been in the poorest districts of your own uh, cities, who've never had first-hand exposure to, the, to others who have so little one can hardly believe that a person can survive and so little. With, sometimes without that contact, it 
we kind of live in a kind of false view of life, in that false view of life that everybody can pull their own socks up, everybody can reach to where I am or where we are. And the earth cannot possibly do that. It doesn't have the resources for that. Thus, it's you and I who have to change our thinking and our feeling and our viewing and our relating. And for some people in this hall, that change is dramatic. Dramatic. Then we can genuinely say, and not in any superficial or shallow or spiritual jargon way, yes, I am interested in the inquiry into the transformation of the forces of ego. That, that I am serious about it and I'm not just here hanging out for a few quiet days as some kind of respite from my um, greedy, selfish life. So these matters do have, let's say, a, a, a seriousness, and a seriousness which is of uh, deep and profound consequences, not only for ourselves, but for all those others on the earth, both near and far. And part of that seriousness is the capacity and the ability to say no to that which one knows deep in one's heart, which is unacceptable. And it's no easy task for any person or any one on this earth. But there are situations in life where the field, the field of pleasure, the field of potential, the field of having more, gaining more, acquiring more, accumulating more, can have an extraordinary, almost magnetic pull on consciousness. And in plenty of situations in our, in our life which can and do arise where that's, that's there and one can think in terms of uh, large expenditures for something. One can think in terms of the, the career which is going to give me double my salary, treble my salary or whatever, which is going to give me um, great popularity and great success so that I'm going to be really important in other people's eyes. And those uh, can dangle in various points and in various times in our, in our life, have a very attractive pull on consciousness. And it's there that the, the metal of ourselves and our wisdom really is tested. Who can say no to all of that. Sometimes with the forces of ego and its movement in uh, life, we, we tend to forget the rather assuring, one might, might say, not always so pleasant, but the assuring reminder that comes in life of death. The one of uh, the many um, satisfactory aspects about death, it's not all bad news, I should say, that with death 
it comes as a reminder to us of the, um, not only of the vulnerability of life, but in the way the absurd absurdity of a, of a greedy and aggressive kind of life. It makes a mockery of all of our attempts, as I was saying in one of the small groups today, to have and accumulate and gather more and more. And that old one-line adage, which hopefully we really can take to heart, we really do, and that is you can't take it with you. And my goodness, if ever there are a few truths in life, that one is there. And it ought to put a, some kind of balanced perspective on what we do with life. One can't take it with us. And there's something rather sad when one sees these um, um, poor ghost-like people in the stock exchange and um, um, other uh, places who are got into the latter period of their life and the only thing that they know to do with life is to go on speculating in the stock exchange about the various um, figures that come up and the profits that might be made and have no idea in that alienated world of speculation of profit and loss of these gambling casinos, the awful and tragic consequences that arise from that in people's lives, not only affecting livelihoods, but the very quality, if not the very life of people, particularly in the third world. And so the, the market forces become a world full of ego, brutal ego, violent ego, ego which is out of touch with compassion and heartfulness and deep care for people. Why? Because making the buck matters more than life itself. And all of that is a, a test to us, it's a challenge to us, it's, a, it's a, almost a, a demand upon us, we might say, to say, these are forces of ego. And, and the, the extraordinary capacity of the human mind in relationship to these things is that one can meditate deep, 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 deep down inside. One can do all the psychotherapy that's available on the earth. One can go to all the workshops and have all the knowledge which is available in the literature and in the remarkable as it were, expansive capacity of uh, um, the mind, we can overlook the glaringly obvious. The mind is so big and so vast and so extensive and so shallow and so superficial and so deep that, that it's that big, that much bigger than the very Atlantic Ocean which we, some of us, cross with regularity, we don't even see things there which are glaringly obvious to others. And thus it's not at all unusual that there can be in this world uh, uh, great interest in spirituality alongside great ego. 
the mind has the capacity to accommodate the two of them together easily. And therefore we can be thinking of our life as a spiritual life or whatever it might be and in fact there is pleasure obsession, profit obsession, ego obsession, aggression obsession, the identification with the nation state and war and violence, justification. All of it unexamined. Force of ego inside is there alongside meditation, vegetarianism, <laughs> looking after the animals and being mindful when walking up and down at IMS. <laughs> Such is the capacity of the mind. It's that big that they can coexist like joy and a nightmare going together. So sometimes in our life and in our meditations and in our awarenesses there, it can be such that as the teachings and as the Buddha very wisely point, pointed out, that the great problems of life are not really so much social economic forces, not really so, so much in a way the, well, as great as it is, the greed and the aggressions of life, but rather the blindness, the blindness, the ignorance, the not seeing, the not acknowledging, the not recognizing. And it's not unusual in many situations of our life where we, somehow or other we, we get into a kind of mechanical habit in which the force of the ego is at work, but somehow or other it gets socially acceptable. One moves in circles where the ego is at, at work morning, noon and night and it's unquestioned and unexamined. It got socially acceptable. And thus we'll speak with great concern about the violence on our streets, but we'll hardly talk about uh, the pervasive greed which contributes to it. And we'll speak of greed as being having a couple of um, extra biscuits after tea time or something, and, and superficialize the greed on the earth which has an indispensable relationship to aggression and violence. don't see programs on television uh, and on the, on the news expressing um, horror at the exploitation of people through greed, the ripping off of people who just go to a concert, uh, the, uh, the lifestyles of the rich and the privileged and the huge levels of abundance that takes place as they live in their imprisoned ghettos and with guard dogs and, and these huge estates or whatever. But it doesn't get mentioned as a very serious and addictive problem in our culture and in our society and at whose expense all of this is at. It's treated as, oh, that's okay, that's worth aspiring for, not seeing it as a direct relationship to 
the situations of those who have nothing on this earth? Where is the compassion? Where is the concern? Where is the wisdom? So as I say, you know, looking at her life and our relationship to life and relationship to others, places like this, if they're to do their duty in life, they're not easy places to be in. And as one person pointed out in the uh, inquiry uh, this afternoon and bringing a fairly uh, common response, that it is such that it's not easy, it's not, it's not pleasurable that if uh, joy and delight comes as it does and some people love and in delight in such environments uh, uh, as this. But whether it's difficult or not shouldn't really overshadow the solemn and serious duty that we have is to look into this thing of living and particularly areas where ego is at work and its corrupting influences upon our earth and our people. And if we say to ourselves, as men and women have, have said to themselves for generations and will continue to do as long as this earth uh, functions, I don't want to pass through this life in an unexamined way. I want to look into this life. I want to investigate it. I want to face it. I want to face this phenomena I call self and its uh, appearance in all of its multiple faces. I don't want to be afraid. I don't want to be shy and nervous about letting go and moving on. I want to explore, I want to look into these, all the things of living. I want to live in such a way that I leave no stone unturned. Everything is valid when it's looked at. And if we bring that kind of um, presence and uh, focus to, to life, then in a way we pay the greatest respect to it. But if we ignore life and ignore the forces of ego specific, specifically, then in a way we show no respect to life and most of all, equally, we're not showing any respect to ourselves because we're saying, I'm just a product of social economic circumstances. That's what I am. That's what I've been made fit for. That's all. And how can there be any self-respect for a human being who lives that way? And is it any wonder that perhaps one of the most endemic issues and problems in our society and, and in the, the inner life of countless human beings. I, and I would say it's the most general issue which I uh, hear about worldwide, wherever I go, and that is the problem, and it is the great problem in our society of self-acceptance. And, and people ask themselves, and they say to themselves, why can't I accept myself? Why aren't I at peace with myself? Why do I constantly experience a feeling or a lack of self-worth? 
Why do I have so much doubt about myself? Why do I experience such a lack of uncertainty, a lack of uh, confidence, a lack of trust? Why, why am I like this? What has happened to me that that's, seems to be a common everyday experience? And so common, whoever the person is, that I have to keep doing things and going after things because it's the only way I know to get my sense of self-worth. If I can do this, if I can achieve this, if I can accomplish this, if I can arrive at this, then I'll feel a sense of self-worth. And so as a result of all this, human beings in our culture and society and as a worldwide phenomena are being driven towards, for, to gain, to get. And deep down in the psyche, deep down in the emotional life, it is in order to feel good with oneself. And not a human being will ever feel good with herself or himself through being driven. And deep down we know it. And in this being driven, we will literally and, and metaphorically eat up this earth and we will ignore all those who are denied and underprivileged and marginalized as we strive and push and struggle and work and, and uh, intensify our life in order to try to get a sense of self-worth before we die. No matter what the cost It's a disastrous and tragic way of being on this earth and the consequences, we can see it in our lives, in our streets, in our homes and all over this earth. That's why I say one's got to come right back to the here and now situation and to look deep and to find some other way of being in this world which is one of not being driven towards. If we're prepared to explore that, if we're prepared to, in a way, begin there, no matter how many previous retreats or first time, it's all irrelevant, really. To begin there, in that, then we can begin to perhaps to sense and feel and, and think, in fact, as well, in a different way from this old characterized mode of being nothing much more, rather sadly, than social economic products who can be employed for a period of time and discarded after a period of time and even if one has a lifetime job at the age of 65 thrown on the, as my father once wryly and sadly commented, thrown on the dung heap of society of no further use. How can a human being tied in with that mode, identified in with that mode, and who values himself or herself through that mode, of course, if one does, how can one feel any self-acceptance? It's undermining, it's demeaning for us. 
therefore we look in a realistic and practical way at social economic factors, yes of course we do, but that's not where the heart and truth of life lies. And that needs to be reflected in our wisdom and in our clarity in an understanding of life which runs much deeper than that. So in being in the meditation, in the sitting, and in the walking, and in the standing, and in the day, and in the uh, teaching, as much as many, many factors of it, one of those multiple factors is that in sitting, and just being present, and being aware, and alive to life, in the very moment of this, that is a moment of acceptance of this moment. That is a moment of hopefully of um, acknowledgement of this moment. It is a moment of not demanding anything of this world. Not placing uh, these undue and unnecessary pressures upon life. And if those moments can deepen and genuinely be appreciated with, with ourselves, we see that perhaps the riches of life don't lie in having, but lie in seeing. Don't lie in accumulating, but lie in expansiveness and accommodating. Don't lie in the imprisonment of this is mine, and this is mine, and this is mine, but the riches of life lie in joy, and sensitivity, and respect, and a connection with that which we can't own, like the beautiful sunset of a summer's evening and the touch of the nature. And then we have a, a different way of being in this world. If, and, but that's really looked for and worked for, in a way. The real thing to work for in life. Then, perhaps, social and economic issues begin to fit in to something which is much bigger. And we've got, a, we've found, or rather sadly, a kind of perverse relationship with social economic, social. Who am I in my relationship to society, my position, my place? Economic, essentially, how much money have I got? How much money haven't I got? Maybe all of that, somehow, there's a perversion, a distortion in the exaggeration of that. Because we can't see something else, where the riches and joys of life are. And that feeds us, that nourishes us, that we touch, that we appreciate, and then something else in terms of security of life in its conventional sense fits in with something bigger. And I say all this not in terms of any kind of um, spiritual romanticism, don't, I'm not saying this in terms of uh, some kind of um, idealism in any way. But, but sometimes when we react to this, then the mind can come up with one of the, those 
powerful and perhaps unacceptable pieces of rhetoric which get turned out about living in the real world. What's this real world? This real world is violent. That's the real world. Real world of so much uh, suffering and hatred and greed and conflict. So ability to bring light to these things, to shed our awareness and to, to question and to examine and re-examine and re-evaluate in the best and deepest sense of that provides us with opportunity for realizing another way of being in this world. And I would see, say that that willingness to question the force of ego deeply and thoroughly and unashamedly directly is the act of compassion on earth. What greater act of compassion can there be for a human being and to work with, if not struggle with, the forces of ego and puncture the mythology that it's all bound up with? What greater act of kindness can a human being for others and to dissolve the greed and the aggression and the fear and the confusion. What act of, such an act of love it is because when we're caught up in the forces of ego, just think of the times when we are, the amount of pressure that it exerts upon ourselves, upon other people, upon life itself. How demanding we are when we're caught up in that. So as I say, what I'm speaking of here is a genuine and authentic act of compassion to question and to take no notice of those voices in this world who knowingly or unknowingly feed egotism. Knowingly or unknowingly lay numbers on you about you must have more, whatever it might be. These are not the voices in life worth listening to. And in that we perhaps, as I said earlier, offer some hope for those who have no hope. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings see into the forces of ego May all beings live with wisdom and kindness.